Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. We have come in our study of Paul's letter to the church at Rome to the seventh verse of the eleventh chapter. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open there, Romans chapter 11. These four verses, we're going to cover verses 7 down to verse 10 today of the eleventh chapter, and they are a part of a unit of thought that Paul has been developing. And so, in order to understand the text that we're going to look at today, we're going to need to be reminded of the pretext on what's come before. And what we've been doing is we've been navigating some, well, not some, we have been navigating in the 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter of Romans, we've been navigating what is without question the most difficult passages of Scripture in all of the Word of God to grapple with, to understand, to settle in our minds and in our hearts. What we have been looking at is Paul using the nation of Israel as an example. Paul was a Jew, a part of the nation of Israel. And Paul is using Israel as an example to show how God works in relationship to salvation. In the ninth chapter, Paul looked at how God worked in the past and related to the nation of Israel. God elected those that He would save. He chose a remnant for himself out of a nation that at times would go astray from him and clearly in Paul's day had and yet God had elected a remnant that he had saved, chosen for his own and made his own. Paul goes on to talk about what God is doing in the present day, in his day, related to salvation, how he is bringing in an incredible number of Gentiles into salvation. And he teaches that God does that the same way that he does it with the Jew. He does it through election. God's electing purposes based upon his grace, not upon our works, but based upon his grace. In the latter part of chapter 11, Paul is going to look to the future and what God is going to do in salvation related to Jews and Gentiles. That's coming in a few weeks here. But this morning, he is continuing this thought that he began in the first six verses of the 11th chapter. And he is telling us that God is not finished with Israel. Now, I'm just going to pause here for a minute and say, Brad, what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, there is an incredibly relevant, if you'll stick with me until about the middle of this message and on to the end, there's an incredibly, incredibly relevant message for this church, for this country right here today. Paul is teaching us that God is not finished with the nation of Israel, that even though they had rejected Jesus Christ, Jesus was a Jew, had been sent by God into that Jewish nation, had 
promise throughout the Old Testament of this Messiah that was to come. And Jesus came and fulfilled all of those prophecies and worked the mighty works of God through his miracles and taught the truth of God. And yet they rejected him and ultimately called for his crucifixion. But what Paul is saying is that God has not reacted against that and totally rejected the Jews. He's kept a remnant for himself. He's kept a remnant. And he will keep a remnant of Jews for himself. That's what he is explaining here in the first six verses. And he is continuing into the seventh verse. So let's pick up at Romans chapter 11, verse 7. As Paul continues to use this nation of Israel as an example of God's purposes in salvation related to humanity. And he says, what then, in verse 7, what then, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. So what Paul is doing here is he's continuing to teach us from the nation of Israel about God's purposes in salvation. And he says here that first, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. What was Israel seeking? Israel was seeking to be right with God. They were seeking to be righteous before God. And the way we looked at that at the end of the end of the ninth chapter, I believe, of Romans, that the way that they were seeking it was that they were seeking it through the law. They were trying to do good works in obedience to the law to make themselves right with God. But Paul says they failed to obtain what they were seeking. That's the first thing that he says here about Israel. Talked about that before. I'm not going to re-preach that again. But I want to show you the second thing that he says here about Israel in this verse. He says, Israel didn't obtain what it was seeking. Only the elected, only this remnant out of Israel that got it elected and made his own did. And the rest were hardened. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. The rest were hardened. The hardening of God. The hardening of God. God elected a remnant from among Israel, made them His own, kept them as His own, and the rest He hardened. The doctrine of God's hardening is a very mysterious and in scrutable part of God's workings. We cannot understand it all, but what we can do is understand what God has taught us in His Word about His hardening. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you what God is teaching us, what Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, is teaching us about God's hardening. And what Paul does is he uses the nation of Israel as the example to teach the lesson. But this isn't just about Israel. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that hardened Israel is the same God that will harden people today who take the same course of action that Israel took. 
So the first thing that I want to do is just explain for you what is the hardening of God? What is the hardening of God? Verse 8, Paul goes on, As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. Paul explaining the hardening of God in verse 8, coming off the end of verse 7, says that God's hardening over Israel has to do with a stupor from God being placed on them, a blindness in the eyes, a deafness in the ears. That's his explanation of the hardening in those Verses are quotes from the Old Testament. Paul here reached back into Isaiah, Isaiah 29.10, and into Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29.4, and he takes these two Old Testament passages about the hardening of God back in Moses' day and in Isaiah's day. God had led the people of Israel out of Egypt, had performed mighty and miraculous signs, and yet they get out into freedom in the wilderness and they begin to grumble and they begin to complain and they begin to rebel. And God hardened their hearts. He gave them stupor in their senses. Their eyes couldn't see and their ears that could not hear. Talking about spiritual truth here. So let me just show you Kind of two aspects to hardening. I believe an easy way to understand this, well, not easy, but a, a good way to understand this is to look at the divine side of hardening and the human side of the equation. First of all, the divine side, this spirit of stupor, verse 8. What is that? It's something that God does. He's giving them a spirit of stupor, and that is insensibility. It is their inability to use their senses to perceive what they ought to be able to perceive. They can't see something and think it through clearly. They cannot hear the truth and understand it. They don't have the ability to sense their need of a Savior, to sense the reality of their sin. They're in a stupor. They're dull. They're asleep to spiritual truth. That's the hardening work of God. They see things that should cause them to get a clue, and they don't get a clue. They hear truth that should arrest them, and it doesn't, because it hits calloused hearts, dull senses, blind eyes, deaf ears. Let's think about down through the Old Testament. How God at times hardened Israel. They would move into apostasy and begin to worship idols and do all kinds of wicked things, and God would harden them. He would give them over to the power of their sin. That's what the hardening of God is. He gives you over. He gave Israel over to the power of their sin and that hardening of God, that 
giving over. Talks about this in Romans chapter 1 multiple times. People rebelled and refused to believe and God would give them over and give them over. And Israel would stoop even to the sacrificing of their children to idol worship. That's a giving over of God, a hardening of God. Where the power of sin takes over. See, there is a thing in this world, the way the theologians talk about it, as they call it, common grace. Let me explain it like this. There is a restraining influence of God over this world. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve rebelled and sin entered this world, since that time until this day, God in His common grace restrains evil from going unchecked. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if he didn't, this world long ago would have self-destructed. Humanity would be done. But there has been this restraining influence of God over human history. Yes, there's sin, but God allows sin to go so far and so fast. He has a limit to what he allows it to do. He has a restraining influence over the lives of humanity, over nations, over people. But here's what he does at times. And we see this biblically in the nation of Israel, and we see this throughout human history. There are times when God pulls back that restraining influence. And when he does that, he is giving them over in their sin. He is letting them go so that the power of their sin takes over. And when that happens, they begin to stoop lower and lower to deeper and deeper levels of depravity. That is the giving over, the taking off of the hands of God from his restraining influence and him giving people over as they persist in their rebellion and their sin. Oh, what a fearful thing to come under the hardening power of God. Those who come under God's hardening, who have calloused hearts, unperceptive to his moving, whose eyes can't see and ears can't hear, what hope is there for them? There is none. How fearful of a thing to come under the hardening of God. That brings us, though, to the human side. The human aspect of hardening, we can see in verse 9. There's a really critical word here that helps us to understand it. Hardening is unlike election. Election is all of God, God choosing what he's going to do in saving a person. But the hardening of God has a component of man. Look at verse 9, and David says, Paul's continuing to quote here, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution for them. I want you to focus in on that word retribution. I'll explain the rest of the verse in a minute. That word retribution 
is a word that is talking about God's justice in punishing. Retribution is the result of sin and rebellion. It's the result of stubborn refusal. So this is not God just saying, I'm going to harden these people. This is God saying, I've tried to work on these hearts, but they've refused in their stubbornness. And I am now going in retribution. I'm going to give them over to the just deserts of their sin. I'm going to take off my restraining influence in their lives. And again, we see that down through the Old Testament, but let's come up to Paul's day. So I've explained what is God's hardening, but specifically, let me just use Israel as an example in Paul's day about the hardening of God on them because that's what Paul is talking about here. He's explaining God's hardening of the nation of Israel here about what God has done as a result of their sin. What was their sin? Well, Jesus Christ had been sent to them. Jesus Christ had come as the perfect God-man. He had come and spoke the truth of God to them in ways that astounded them. As the soldier said, no man has ever spoke like this man. They heard his truth. They saw his actions as he went from place to place, unleashing his power, healing the blind and the crippled and the lame, raising the dead, walking on the water, calming the storm, doing all manners of miracles, Jesus said. Believe me, based upon what you see I am doing, the power of God is working in me. And yet Israel refused to believe. They remained stubborn in their disbelief. They rejected the one that God had said to him. So much so that they called out for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ before Pilate. And they said this, trying to convince Pilate to crucify him. They said, Pilate, let his blood be on us. We accept Full responsibility for his death. Let his blood be on us. This was a stubborn refusal to see what they should have seen and hear what they should have heard. And yet they refused. And so God gave them over to a stupor, to eyes that couldn't see, to ears that couldn't hear, to a heart that could not perceive. That was an act of the retribution of God based upon their actions. But now look at the rest of verse 9. David said, Let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution. What is it that became the occasion or the instrument of their becoming a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution? David said, it's their table. It's their table. 
What is their table? The reference here to the table is the blessings of God. It points to the manifold and the abundant blessings of God. And David says, the very thing that God had blessed them with, the very things that should have caused them to rise up in praise and adoration for God became the very thing that became a trap and a stumbling block to them. Think about that, how that happened, first of all, to the Jew. What was the table of God's blessing to the Jew? Oh, God had protected them and preserved them down through history. God had given them his prophets who shared the truth. God had given them his law, his very truth, carved on tablets of stone by his own hand. God had given them his own son. He had set the table of his blessing before them abundantly. And David said, and Paul repeated in his day and said, those very things that should have been God's blessings became the occasion for them to be a trap and a snare and a stumbling block. Do you know that's exactly what happened to the Jew? Jesus became a stumbling block to them. The one that they should have seen as their Savior that had filled all, had fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, had done all the mighty works of God through His miracles, had taught them the Word of God through His teaching, and yet they looked at Him and said, it cannot be. It cannot be. Their heart became hardened against Him. They didn't see their sin and their need for Him as a Savior. And He became a stumbling block to them. He became the very thing that they tripped over. Was the work of God giving them over to the power of their sin in His hardening. Now I want to bring this to the doorstop of America. God, help me to show you what I believe that I'm seeing. God in His benevolence has set the table before us. Consider the blessings that God has spread on the table of his bounty before America. Let me just give you a few of them. We have the freedom to come right here this morning and worship God according to the dictates of our heart. Our country was founded on that principle. Do you know that America was founded as a church relocation project? We have the freedom of worship in this country. Secondly, we have the Word of God. Oh, we have it so readily available. It's so prolific here. It's so accessible. I'm sure most all of us have not just one, but many of these right here in our home, sitting on our nightstand, 
sitting on our table, sitting on our desk at work, in our office. We have the Word of God that is so accessible to us. We have the gospel in this country proclaimed over the airwaves, the good news of Jesus constantly proclaimed over the airwaves of this country, so accessible via radio, via television, via the Internet. What an Incredible bounty of the blessing of God. And then we have the material blessings. We have his lavished abundance. We are in the most wealthy country in the history of the world. And what those things should cause us to do is they should cause us to give our praise and adoration to the giver who gives every good and perfect gift. But what is it caused in our country? What has our abundance and our affluence done to our country? Has it caused us to turn our hearts toward God or caused us to turn our hearts toward ourselves and our own selfish, sinful desires and we who have so much to get much more and continually more and turn our focus completely off of God? What about us as individuals? Let's take it from a country level now to an individual level. Consider the manifold blessings that have been set before you as an individual. You enjoy the affluence of this country and its freedom. You have the privilege of being a part of a local body of believers where you can be encouraged and built up and strengthened and served and be a part of serving You have the Word of God, as I said, prolifically in your homes, so accessible. Table of God's blessing has not only been set for this country, it's been set for us as individuals. But so often in a kind of a wholesale way in our country, those very things have become a trap and a stumbling block and a snare to us. I mean, just look at the attitude of our country. Is there any other answer than what Paul is teaching here? Where have we come from and where have we arrived at? It's shocking. I'm not just trying to preach doom and gloom, but to understand the principle of hardening. We have to see that as it relates to our country today and what is taking place right here in the U.S. of A. Our affluence has caused us to live for pleasure instead of the gift giver. Our freedom of worship has caused us to take it lightly and then eventually to drift into absolute disinterest. Our abundance of the Word of God has caused us to take it for granted and then not take it up at all and then take up weapons against it. That's what's taking place right now in our Supreme Court. Did you know that? They're hearing arguments right now to redefine 
God's first institution that he created, the institution of the family, defined as one man and one woman in union together. But our Supreme Court is hearing the argument, and those who are court watchers tell us this. It is almost certain that the decision is going to be the definition of marriage in this country will be redefined to include same-sex unions. Folks, what is that? That is taking up arms against the truth of the Word of God. Why is that happening? Because there is a hardening of God coming upon this country. I'm absolutely convinced of it. We've seen it over a period of time. If this decision is made here in the next few months, At our Supreme Court, I'm pretty convinced it's going to be the most devastating decision since 1973 when abortion was legalized and the effects that that has had on this country with about 60 million babies now at the death toll dating back to 1973. The ramifications of what's going to happen in this country if that's redefined are hard to fathom. The only way I know how to evaluate the culture of America is that Upon this culture is coming a hardening because of a stubborn refusal to see the manifold blessings of God for what they are, gifts from His hands meant to bless us and give us His bounty, but instead they are becoming a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and His retribution against us as a country. What then do we do? I'm not fatalistic about this, but I just give you one one thing to do. I I wish I would have heard about this sooner. It's just interesting. I don't have the foresight to look weeks ahead and knowing what I'm going to preach on or understanding what's in the text until that week when I get into it and I dig into it deeply. But as I dug into this and this picture became apparent to me, then at the end of the week I heard about a prayer initiative that's taking place here this month. I wish I would have heard about this sooner to send out a more planned out call, but I'm going to give it this morning. I'm going to give it this morning. Maybe a few of you have heard this uh, on the news or gotten an email or seen it on the internet. There is a call to prayer that's being coordinated by Annie Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter. It's a time of prayer from May 15th to the 23rd. May the 15th to the 23rd, nine days. And what the encouragement is, is over those nine days, this is something that every believer in here can do. Over those nine days, take one hour a day over those nine days to pray for this country. One hour a day for nine days to pray for this country. 
Don't take prayer lightly. Prayer is omnipotent because it is prayer given to an omnipotent God. He can turn the tide here. And I believe he would have us to do what we can to plead the case of this country before God to confess our sins, to beg him for his mercy, to beg him to intervene. So I'm I'm asking you to do that. You can do that. You You can pray wherever you want to pray. You could come here to the church. Maybe you want to come here in the morning time or at lunchtime and pray during those nine days. Or you'd pray anywhere you want to pray, but just pray. Maybe get with another person and two or more gathered together in prayer and pray for this country. Pray for God to move on this country. Not simply for this decision that's being discussed in the Supreme Court, but just all of the stubborn refusal to accept the blessings of God that are so abundant. Pray for an awakening, a revival, for there to be a sense to see and hear and understand and perceive what needs to be perceived that people would turn their hearts to God in repentance, accept Him and His gift through His Son. It's a message to the church for the nation, now a message to the individual as I close. Maybe you're here this morning and you've realized in the preaching of the word that you as an individual have been rejecting the blessings of God that have been set before you, that the very table that God has set before you in His word and in His affluence and in His goodness, that you have been rejecting that. If you're realizing that this morning, then God is moving upon your heart. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. We harden, and then God hardens. We will not, and then if God hardens, we get to a point where we cannot. And what a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God says, in a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God is offering that to you if you feel the stirring in your heart this morning. God is saying to you, don't harden your heart. Come and receive the salvation provided by His Son that He wants to give you this morning. Would you please stand
just invite you to come to one of the altars if you want to come and pray. Some individuals, some elders here and others that can come and pray over you. God is speaking to your heart. Listen and be a part of the prayer. May 15th to the 23rd for this country. Let's pray, Father. God, I just humble before you this morning. Thank you for the timeless relevance of your word. It's just amazing. Just in the few verses that we looked at today, it was quotes from Moses' day and Isaiah's day. that Paul was using and bringing forward to his day. So it's 3,500 years ago and 700 years ago and then, or 2,700 years ago and then 2,000 years ago and we can bring that same truth forward to our day. It's so relevant. It's speaking a word to us right now just like you wrote it this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that you'd have your way, God, that you would have your way. I pray, God, that you would call your people to rise up and pray. God, don't let it be too late. Hear our prayers, Lord. Hold back with your restraining influence. Sin, don't let it go unchecked. Please, God. Please. And then, Lord, there are some right here today. You're calling to yourself. Would you work in them both to will and to work according to your good purpose. Thank you for doing it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.